Chapter 1 What the hell happened to me? That was the first thing that came to Brooklyn's mind when she woke in a little blue BMW to find it smashed into a tree. The engine was still running and the wipers were on. But the hood was crunched up like an accordion. Her head was throbbing, her chest ached with every breath she took. She could feel blood trickling down the side of her face. Judging by the amount of snow on the hood and the side windows, she was sure she'd been there a while. She couldn't remember wrecking her car. All she remembered was leaving her friend, Alicia's graduation party. I must have hit a patch of ice, she thought. She, she was in too much pain to move. She pushed the button and rolled down her driver's side window. A piercing feeling shot up her, up her arm. The snow was still falling. There was no houses besides her that she could see, but across the road there were several small suburban-looking homes. They all looked the same. No one was outside except for an old man shoveling snow in his driveway. Brooklyn took a deep, painful breath and tried to scream for help, but all that came out was a shrill cry that was barely audible. She pressed down on the horn and held it, the old man whirled around, startled. Seeing her, he threw down his snow shovel and ran to his front door, flinging it open. Elaine, call 911. There'd been an accident, he shouted inside the house. He ran across the road to Brooklyn. Are you all right, he said. Uh, I don't know, she responded weakly. She started to feel dizzy and sweaty. A small, frail-looking old woman approached with a warm washcloth in her hand. She pressed it to the side of Brooklyn's it's okay, just lie back, she said. Smoothing Brooklyn could feel the woman's bony fingers beneath her gin. The couple's voices became muffled. Eyelids felt heavy. She closed her eyes and let the blackness envelop her. When she woke, she saw only white. Is this heaven, she thought. As her eyes began to focus, she realised she was staring at the ceiling. She was in a hospital bed. There was no one around. She didn't have a roommate. In the bed next to her, there was a tube in her arm, another tube running under her gown. She was surprised that she felt fine. Her head did not throb as it did had it, it had just before she lost consciousness. She pushed the call button above her bed. A few minutes later, a surprised-looking nurse came into the room. You're awake, she said, looking surprised. Yes, Brooklyn replied. The nurse quickly left the room. Dr. Morris, the patient in 215, is awake, she called. A really surprised-looking doctor came into the room. Nice to see you awake. How do you feel, he said, reaching into his left coat pocket, pulling out an oscilloscope and shining it into her eyes. I feel just fine, she replied. How long have I been sleeping? You've been in a coma for over two years now, the doctor replied. What? Are you serious, Brooklyn cried. You sustained massive head trauma. You're lucky to have survived. We need to run some tests to make sure you haven't suffered any permanent damage. Dr. Morris explained. Dr. Brooklyn, go off the blanket, sat up, startled to climb out of her bed. Started to climb out of her bed. Wait, Dr. Morris said, putting his hand on her shoulders. Your muscles are weak from no, no use. You won't need to strengthen them before you can walk on your own. His mouth kept moving, but Brooklyn didn't hear anything. He else he said so many thoughts were running through her head she couldn't not contain them all i lost two years of my life where is everyone what happened since my wreck 
How could I have been in a coma for two years? I sustained ma- massive head trauma. Do I have brain damage? Well, the doctors have finished speaking and left the room. Brooklyn picked up the phone beside her bed. I dialed her parents' number. This is going to be one hell of a shock for them. I guess she thought. But instead of her parents, all she got was a recording saying the number was no longer in service. She dialed the number again. They got the same message. Why would they change their number? She thought. Her parents had lived in the same house for 20 years. She had the same and had the same number forever. She picked up a phone book and that was in a drawer on the end of the table by her bed. Her parents were not listed in the phone book. Not knowing what else to do, she dialed her best friend Trent's cell phone number. Hello? A man's voice said, Trent? She said, yeah, who's this? Trent Wright, it's me, Trent. There was a brief pause. Brooke? Brooklyn? Is that you? Trent exclaimed. Yeah, it's me, she said. No way, how the hell? Is it really you? Trent spluttered. I've been trying to get a hold of Mum and Dad, but I guess the number's changed, Brooklyn said. I don't think I ever heard, I ever hear your voice again. Brooke, damn, it's good to talk to you, Trent explained. Exclaimed. You too, she said. I guess we've got a lot of catching up to do. Have I really been in a coma for two years? Yes, over two years. The year is 2020, Trent said. I can't believe it doesn't feel the way to me at all, she mused. I'll come and get you. You're still near those hospital, aren't you, Trent said. Yes, of course, Brooklyn responded. She didn't want to waste another minute lying in a hospital bed. In a hospital bed. All right, get me until tomorrow morning. I'll be there, he said. Why can't we be here until tomorrow morning? You're not you're not living in Colorado anymore? Brooklyn said, asked. No, none of us are. That's why you can't reach your parents. We're living in Montana, Trent said. Are you serious? What are you doing there, Brooklyn asked, um, astonished. Trent was not the type of person. He would picture living in a ranch or rural wildland, like most of Matana. Trent, like Brooklyn, was a graduate of the University of Denver, who majored in computer science and was a computer programmer up till the accident. Trent and Brooklyn had been working for the same company. They'd been inseparable since high school. Look, a lot has changed since you worked your car. You're really complicated, and I don't want to get into it over the phone. I'll fill you in while I get there. Just stay in the hospital. Do it safe. Don't go anywhere else, Trent emphasised. Safe? Brooklyn echoed, confused. I'll explain everything later. Just promise me you'll stay there, Trent said. All right, Brooklyn said. Can I call you on this number that you called me from? Trent asked. Yeah, it's my hospital phone, Brooklyn said. Oh, then I'll call you later. I'll be back there soon. I'll tell Zane and Celeb that you good, the good news, Trent said. Where are they now, Brooklyn wanted to know. Zane and Celeb are my roommates, Trent said. Zane and Celeb were Trent and Brooklyn's friends from college. Zane and Celeb were finishing their master's degree in systems engineering when Trent asked them to join their study group. He knew that he and Brooklyn would learn a lot from them. He had no idea that they would all become such good friends. I'll see you soon, girl, Trent said. OK, Brooklyn said happily. She was perplexed by her conversation with Trent. She had no idea what make her friends all suddenly move to Madonna. They had never even expressed any desire to go there. It was especially bizarre that her parents would move anywhere 
after living in the same house for twenty years. I think I'll wake in the toilet zone. Booklet thought to herself. Throughout the next twenty-four hours, Bookley and Wendell went a series of tests, which all but came back normal. Watched TV, acquired an obnoxious roommate, met with his physical therapist, attempted to stretch her leg up muscles from her bed, and waited anxiously for Trent. She could not sleep at all. When Trent appeared in the doorway of the room, she almost didn't recognise him. His skin was tanned and weathered. He was more muscular than he used to be. His dark brown hair was lighter now. His look had changed from college frat guy to rugged outdoors man. She smiled when she saw him. He walked over to her bed, and they held each other tightly. Trent handed her a duffel bag. I packed some of your old clothes. I hope they still fit, he said. I don't know. You still had any of my old clothes, Bottlin said. I could never bring myself to throw them away, he admitted. I'll get dressed so we can leave, she said. Pulling the clothes out of the bag, Trent turned his back to give her privacy. After she dressed, he helped her into a wheelchair that was in the corner of the room and wheeled her down to the wall, towards the side door. I probably need to check out or something. They didn't even know I was leaving, Brooklyn said. Good. They don't need to know, because you're getting out of here now, Trent declared. Trent glanced nervously behind him and wheeled her out the door through the parking lot to an old white full ranger truck and helped her inside. Where did you get this thing? she said, asked. My uncle, Trent replied. He started the truck and pulled out of the parking lot. Butland did not wait to ask Trent what exactly had been going on for the past two years. Trent took a deep breath. Do you remember he talk about microtrips before your accident, she said, he asked. Microtrips, Butland said, throwing a duffel bag into the back seat. It's just a comfort, comfort, it was just comfortry until about a year ago. Government passed a bill requiring every US citizen to have microtrip installed in their arm. A chip not only is the centre of your every type of transaction, but it can track the whereabouts of any person who is it, has it. Human has behaved, so to speak, you, so also shut it off any time they feel like it, Trent explained. Trent broke a little hard. I think I do not. I do remember hearing something like that. They acted fast in doing it. They didn't want to give people time to think about it. It works by communication of radio waves. A chip is read wherever you pass through a doorway, equipped with a chip scanner, which is almost every place business now. You can't even buy groceries or fly on an airplane without a chip. Cash is obsolete now. Every bit of a person's identity is stored. A chip, a bank account of information, social security number, birth date, citizen status. The chip was approved by default without testing because it's not considered regulated medical device. Trent relayed. So everyone just rolled up their sleeves and agreed to it? Brooklyn asked. Most people did. President Burke scared a lot of people with threats of terrorism. He said a chip would ensure safety. It would be next to impossible for a terrorist to come to America. He also made it a big deal about the fact that chip wouldn't cut down on crime. So there's no point in robbing anyone anymore, Trent replied. Those are the things, those of us who beg to differ from their lies were living in their own communities. That's why Zen Zed, myself and a few group of others, River farmers, River cars are all living within a 50-mile radius of one another, Trent said. Most of the religious fanatics are probably 
somewhere in Utah. They're all screaming that the end of the world is near, and the chip is the mark of the devil. Actually, I think they're probably not far from the truth on that one. Why Why do you say that, Roland Lars? The chip makes people act weird. I don't know what it is, but everyone I know who's had a chip in the arm acts like, like a tranquilizer or something. Just like they're just totally zoned out, don't care about anything. They're like minus little robots. There's something about a chip that the government didn't tell the public and has no intention of telling him, Trent said. So you think it's brainwashes people? Brooklyn wanted to know. I don't really know. All I know is that I'm not letting that damn thing anywhere near my arm, Trent declared. Will it? Will we be hunted down and arrested for refusing a chip? Brooklyn asked. If we were caught by the police without one, we'd be sent to a prison camp. But I seriously doubt anyone's going to hunt us down. Big Brother doesn't want to waste their time. Resources chucking down everyone who refuses a chip. I believe they think of us as cockroaches. They won't go up, out of their way to step on unless they are. They see, Trent replied. Where are my parents and sister now? Brooklyn said. Last thing I heard from them is that they went to Detroit to take care of your mate mother. She had another stroke and didn't, wasn't doing well, Trent said. Well, did they have the chip implanted? She asked wearily. I don't know. They, they left shortly before the bill was passed. I promise I'll take care of you if you ever woke from your coma, Trent said, taking an exit to a rural road. Buckland's mind was reeling. She wouldn't have believed it if she had heard it from anyone but other than Trent. Everything was more, was more once constant familiar, and safe, disappeared in her sleep. She walked back to the freshman year of a high school when she and Trent were somewhere in the basement smoking the first time with her some friends, champagne and supernova, were blaring in the in the background. Brooklyn picked up a lighter from the coffee table, staring at the barcode at the back, said, she said, Someday we have barcodes. I don't want to hold this finger anymore. This, her old school buddies did not seem to pay much attention to her. The only reply was puff and pass already. There was only silence for a truck for a while until Brooklyn realised something. You haven't told me exactly what you guys are doing in Madonna. A little farm smile came across Trent's face. Farming, he said. Brooklyn doubled over, laughing, and Trent knew he, she would act that way. You're a cowboy computer nerds? How did you decide to do that? She giggled. Why else are we going to get by? Times are tough, sometimes. All we can do is pull on... Your overalls are getting into planting and harvesting. Trent joked in a southern tone. I can't believe Zane of all people took up farming. So Brooklyn chuckled. Zane had a hard year, Trent said in a much more serious tone. Parents flipped when they, all these microchip stuff first went down. I don't know if they were religious or not, but they definitely thought the chip was evil. So they packed the car, headed for Mexico with Zane's little brother. You remember the twins? Don't you? Vaguely, Brooklyn recalled. Well, anyways, they were in the car wreck on the way to Jalea's. His parents died, Trent said soberly. Brooklyn's mouth dropped open. That's awful. Are the twins living on the farm? No, they are in the foster homes now. But they're coming to live with us when they turn 18, which will be soon, Trent relied. Brooklyn wasn't sure how much life-altering and shocking news she could handle one day, but she was sure... She had reached her limit. Trent had driven them for several hours when Brooklyn suggested they stop for the nearest motel and call it a night. You don't, can't do that. As I mentioned before, cash is obsolete. We can't check into her. 
can't check into a motel, Trent said. So where are we going to sleep tonight, Brooklyn wanted to know. You're looking at it, Trent smiled, gesturing towards the back seat of the extended cab or truck. This is going to be a long trek, Brooklyn and my ground. Brooklyn slept in the back seat for the truck for most of the ride home. Trent had driven non-stop. Other than pull over and we filled the gas tank with the containers he had in the back truck bed. He was hungry and exhausted, and Brooklyn had eaten most of the food he brought with him, but his excitement over finding bringing her home kept him going. But wake up, we're almost there, Trent said, nudging her. What? she groaned sleepily. We're home, she said, turning into a dirt road. She sat up and pulled into a long driveway, a beautiful two story white farmhouse with a foyer and baby blue window trimming. There was a small white bayon near the house, a pig pen made of concrete slabs, and Brooklyn could see a lake off the, in the distance. There was a garden and a side yard full of ripe tomatoes, green peppers and carrots. It was surrounded by flat, sparsely green land, and Brooklyn guessed that there was a neighbour for miles. Peaceful-looking place, Trent gathered their belongings, walked round to her side, and helped Brooklyn out of the truck with his free hand. He wobbled on her feet, but at first, but walking became easier with each ship. He walked through the door. A group of people yelled, Surprise! Zane and Sleb started grinning under the Welcome Home Brooklyn banner they had made for her. Trent's cousins, Desiree and Sarah, ran to Brooklyn, tackling her with hugs. We're so glad you're back, Desiree said. We knew you'd wake up one day. I told Trent not to give up on you. Sarah added, Desiree and Sarah had looked I had looked later since she and Trent dated high school. It had been years since they'd se- she'd seen him. Hugh Morris did not recognise the two beautiful brunettes. She couldn't have been happy to see all of them. But Linda wanted to think about them with or government bills. For the moment, it was just as good to be home, whatever home was now. Do you want a beer? Zane asked. Sure. I didn't have a drink or two in two years. I had a drink in two years. Brooklyn replied and everyone laughed. There's a cake and a huge chicken dinner with corn and a cob and mashed potatoes. I don't want to go overboard, but this really is a big deal, Zane said, knowing how Brooklyn didn't like the centre being the centre of attention. This is perfect, Zane, Brooklyn smiled. So, what's that like being in a coma? Do you dream? Desiree asked, when they all seated at the dinner table. You probably wouldn't want to talk about that, stupid. Sarah snapped. It's okay. I don't remember dreaming. I don't remember anything. It's like I was alive. I wasn't alive at all. Brooklyn said. Well, that's important. Is that you are here now? Fred said. That's right. The group wasn't the same about you. So they added, sinking his teeth into his corn and cob. On that note, I'd like to propose a toast. To good friends, Zane said, holding up his glass. To good friends. Everyone echoed as they raised their glasses. It was a great party right up until Daisy and Sarah went home for the night. Brooklyn waved goodbye as they walked out the door. She was slumped in an armchair in the living room, drinking the last of her beer. Trent had gone for to bed after dinner. Two days of constant driving, but sleep had finally gotten to him. So how do you make all this happen? Brooklyn asked, dressing around the room. What do you mean, Zane said. He, how are you able to have water and electricity? He asked. She had quite a few beers. We have a generator and power. Uh, well, 
and a lake for water, a satellite for the internet, Sane explained. And how did you get the beer through? How did you get the beer, beer though? But Portland wanted to know.